I like problems that have simple solutions. Uh, you know, no one likes problems in general, but if you have a problem, you hope that there's a very simple solution to the problem that you have. Uh, for instance, the other day, my oldest son, who is in fourth grade, had some homework. And he informed me, he said, Dad, I am not going to do my homework. Okay? Now we have a problem. Okay, fortunately, that problem has a very simple solution. Okay, the problem is I took a pencil, sat down right next to him, and forced him to do his homework. Ten minutes later, it's all done. Problem solved, right? We got a problem. There's a simple solution. Now it's all done, and you move on. Okay, other problems that we encounter in life, however, uh, don't have simple solutions. Okay, for instance, the other day I was talking to a couple who was having marriage problems. Uh, they were fighting with each other. They had several unresolved issues that had been going on for years in their lives. Okay, now, the, the conversation I had with my son, I solved that problem in 10 minutes. How likely am I able to solve the problem with this couple in 10 minutes? Yeah, not at all. Not even possible. Uh, I don't think I can solve their problem, much less can I do it quickly. It's a more complicated problem. Now, how would they feel if I offered them a simple solution? Okay, well, all you need to do is date more. Okay, or something like that, right? How satisfying would that be to them? Yeah, not, yeah don't do that. My marriage counselor wife says, don't do that. That's not, not, not good advice. Okay, it wouldn't get them anywhere, and on top of that, it would be insulting, right? Okay, often, though, I think our temptation uh, is when we encounter people with spiritual problems is we offer them simplistic solutions. Oh, you got a problem with the sin in your life? Okay, quit doing that. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, you've got some spiritual problems? Well, you just need to pray more, maybe read your Bible more. That'll fix everything, right? We offer simple solutions to some complex problems. All right, I mention all of this because Paul is writing this book that we've been studying of 1 Corinthians. Uh, this is a letter that he has written to a church that's suffering through several significant, complicated problems. Okay, bye Luke. Hi, how are you, bud? I love you too. Okay, and the problems in Corinth are the second kind of problem, right? These are not simple problems with simple solutions. These are more complicated problems. Paul will give more nuanced answers. All right, so here's what we've talked about so far. Uh, their biggest problem is disunity. Paul starts with that, and he says, okay, you really want to have unity. Uh, the first solution to your problem, and this is beyond just unity, this is all your problems, uh, it's to focus on the cross of Jesus, right? We always start there. Okay, we start by remembering what Jesus has done for us. You remember your salvation. Okay, do you all remember the grace you've been given? Okay, do you remember how much Jesus has sacrificed so that you can be a part of this family? Okay, you start by remembering what's most important. Right? You want to talk about what color the paint is, or what color the carpet is, fine. We can do all of those things. Okay, but first, let's remember that there are people around us who are dying every day who don't know this gospel story. Okay, we keep that primary, uh, it brings everything else into focus, right? If I'm really focused on the cross of Jesus, it's hard for me to get upset at Greg for not leading my favorite song this week, right? All right, his second solution for us, okay, and this is what we're going to get into this week, is he says we have to develop the mind of Christ. Okay, do you want to be who God has called you to be? Do we want to have the kind of church that can not only provide peace and family, okay, but can change the entire world for God. Okay, do we want to be that kind of people? Then we have to learn how to think like Jesus. 
Okay, our primary responsibility as disciples of Jesus Christ is to be more like Jesus, right? We've got to learn how to think, how to have the mind of Christ. Okay, notice what he says. This is chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 6. He says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind have conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. That is a dense paragraph. Uh, There's a lot of stuff that Paul says in that that we could unpack. But I want us to focus just on his main point right now, okay? I think his main point is this. If we want to have the mind of Christ, if we really want to do this and start thinking like Jesus, first thing we have to do is we have to understand the age in which we live. If you're taking notes, this is one of the things I want you to write down. We, as disciples of Jesus, need to learn how to understand the age in which we live. Right, several years ago, uh, my family and I, we all lived in Texas, and while we were in Texas, we knew a young couple who had moved to our same city of Terrell, and they moved there about the same time we did. It was a young couple about our age, uh, but the difference was the wife of this other couple, she never fully moved. Okay, she lived there, she had a house there, she had a husband and family there, uh, but she didn't really want to be there. Okay, she wanted to be back home three hours away where she moved from. Every single weekend, she would either go back home to be with her parents, or she would insist that her parents come out and visit her where she was. Okay? She never got a job in her new city. She didn't make any friends in her new city because she had friends back home where she wanted to be. Okay? Ultimately, she ended up sabotaging her husband's job and forcing him to move her back home so that she could be where she wanted to be. Right? Okay, here's the point of the story. She had a new life, but she continued to live as if the old life was still true. She tried to keep a foot in both worlds, but it was impossible, and it ended up costing her family quite dearly. You see where I'm going with this? I got to explain that. If the gospel is true, right, if you and I are really living in the kingdom of God, we are already in God's new age, and everything is different. We've already moved. We can't keep a foot in both worlds. We can't still care about all the stuff that we cared about when the old world was still true. Okay, people still living in the old age in Paul's day, uh, they cared a whole lot about who was on the throne in Rome. That mattered. Right? They cared a lot about wearing the right clothes. You know, you want to have the right toga to impress the ladies, right? Have the right sandals on your feet. You want to have the sandals with the check on it, right? It matters. You want to impress the right people. You want to climb higher on the social ladder. They care greatly about things like increasing their power and their comforts and their pleasures. Aren't you glad that's something that people a long time ago struggled with and we would never worry about those things today in our world? Okay, people living outside of the gospel cannot understand what we are doing in the church because we are already living in the new age and they are stuck living as if the old rules and the old powers still apply. 
Okay, we're already living in a new world. You know, my son just started kindergarten this last week. Uh, and he is very concerned at his school about who gets to be the line leader every day. Okay, that matters, right? Who gets to be first in line? Okay, he's also really concerned. He came home and told me that he got into an altercation one day on the playground with another boy because the other little boy wouldn't let him be the red Power Ranger. Okay, and it was his turn to be the red Power Ranger. Okay, that matters when you're in kindergarten, right? It's a big deal. Now, um, all of that I think is very appropriate while he's in kindergarten. Uh, but wouldn't it be absurd if I, as an adult, lost sleep over those worries? Okay. Wouldn't it be weird if I was really worried today about whether or not he gets to be the line leader tomorrow? Okay. Wouldn't it be just stupid, to use the, the blunt word for it, uh, if I went up to his school tomorrow and got in that little boy's face and said, you know, it's my son's turn to be the Red Power Ranger. You let him have a turn. Okay. I would never do that. Why? Okay, because as an adult, I know none of that matters, right? I know it doesn't matter whether he's the line leader. I know it doesn't matter what Power Ranger he gets to be on the playground. And I know that in a week, none of that will matter to him either, right? It's a very temporary thing. It matters so much to him right now, but it's all going to be forgotten, and it does not matter at all. Okay, but then as an adult, what do I do? Okay. Uh, we worry about sports. We worry about politics. We worry about money and stuff. I worry about my pleasures and my comforts and my powers. And I live as if all of those things still matter. And yet I should have outgrown, I should have outmatured all of those worries. Because now I am living in the new age of the kingdom of God. You know, the world is still going to worry about all that stuff. But we are called to be more mature than that. Okay, do you want the church to work right? Uh, we have to understand we're living in a new kingdom. And all those old rules, all those old worries, they don't even matter. All right, notice where Paul goes from there. This is the second part of verse 10. He says, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Okay, again, there's a lot of things that Paul's saying in that paragraph, a lot of things we could spend a whole lot of time unpacking, but I want us to focus on what, again, I think is his main point here. This is number two if you're taking notes. That is, that if we want to have the mind of Christ, if we want to start thinking like Jesus, we have to have the Spirit of God. Okay, we have to have the Spirit of God. All right, here's an aside. Uh, but since I've been over adult education here at Gwinnett Church Christ, uh, we have never offered the same Sunday morning Bible class twice. Okay, we've always done something different each quarter. And we're going to actually break that habit because this point right behind me is so important. Okay, just this quarter, we're teaching a class on the Holy Spirit. 
Um, it's not my class. This is a class done by David Love and David Palmer. Um, and we consider that class and that material so important. Understanding life in the Spirit as being so central to who we are and to what we do. We're actually going to offer that class again coming up pretty soon. And another, I think we're going to be off a quarter with that class. And then offer it again in the spring quarter. Uh, because that is so central to who we are as Christians living a life of Jesus. You cannot be a follower of Jesus without the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay? So, for all of you who have been thoroughly enjoying my Bible class this quarter, um, we're going to ask you to go to the other class next time, um, and then you can get this material because it matters. Fair enough? All right. Okay, so let's start with a definition as we unpack this point. First off, what is your spirit? Okay, your spirit is the essence of who you are. Okay, your spirit is what makes you, you. Okay, it's your personality, it's your thought, it's your emotions, it's all of those things together, right? Um, we know that you could go through a car accident and your body could be mangled up, but that wouldn't change you. You would still be you, right? Your body is not what makes you, you. It's all of those other things that go together to make you who you are. Okay, so as we approach the, the text in the spiritual world, uh, we know that the bodies that we have are ultimately going to get out, right? Um, you could live to be 106 years old, okay, and eventually you're going to die, okay? But you don't cease to exist. You continue on, okay? When we're in Christ, we get a new body, okay? We celebrated a couple of those just this weekend of people who were able to leave this body behind and get a new one, and they're doing a whole lot better than you and I are right? Okay, so that's your spirit. Your spirit is you. Now, an amazing thing happens to us when we become Christians. Okay, we literally receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, the Bible talks to us in several places about the gift of the Holy Spirit that happens at our baptism. Okay, and there's several things that this means to us, right? One of the places we often go in church is we go to Acts chapter 2, where Peter stands up at Pentecost and preaches a sermon. You've heard that one before, right? Okay, and he says, okay, when you're baptized, you get two things. The gift of the Holy Spirit, which brings about the forgiveness of sins. Okay, and we focus on that a lot, right? One of the things that happens when you get this gift of the Holy Spirit is you get the forgiveness of your sins, right? Paul doesn't talk about that in this text, Paul says, okay, not only have you gotten all of that, but part of what you get when you get the Holy Spirit is we literally get the mind of God. Okay, because God has given us his own spirit, now we can start to really understand the things of God. We have access to the wisdom of God. We start making judgments like Jesus makes judgments. We start speaking like Jesus speaks. Okay, Paul says, you can't really understand what the church is doing. You can't understand what all these Christians are running around doing unless you have the Spirit of God working in you. It won't make sense otherwise. You want to understand what God is doing? You need his Holy Spirit. Now, uh, Paul will talk about this more in some other places, uh, but this is a process. How many of you became Christians on a Sunday and then on Monday started living a perfect life? You were exactly like Jesus in every way? Raise them high. Raise them high. Okay, nobody. All right. Um, no, this, that's not how it works, right? We still struggle. We still sin. We still um, don't always live exactly like Jesus. Okay, in other places in Scripture, we'll talk about this as the process of sanctification. 
Okay, it's a big word meaning we start becoming more holy. We become more like Jesus. Okay, over the course of our lives as we continue to follow Jesus, hopefully we continue to mature. We continue to become more and more like him. I hope I'm more like Jesus today than I was 10 years ago. Okay, I hope that I'm more like Jesus 10 years from now than I am today. I'll be 39 in 10 years, just to let you know. You want to have a healthy church? It starts by understanding the gospel of Jesus. And then here in chapter 2, he says it starts by becoming more like Jesus. We have to have the mind of Christ. Fair enough? All right, so uh, let's get practical with the last few minutes. Uh, what does that look like? What does developing the mind of Christ look like? Again, I left you some blanks on your bulletin to write these down. Uh, letter A, first I think this looks like spending time with Jesus, okay, this looks like spending time with him. You know, after his first couple days of kindergarten, I asked Sam about his friends. So have you made any friends in your kindergarten class? He was real nervous to go because he didn't know anyone at his new school, right? And so he came home and he says, well, I've got a friend, his name is Justin. I'm like, oh, that's great, how's that all going? Oh, it's good, I hang out with Justin, that's great. I said, okay, well, Sam, do you have a girlfriend yet? And he laughed, and he goes, no, Dad, I don't have a girlfriend yet. That's silly. But there's one girl that looks pretty good. I thought, whoa. I wasn't ready for that. Okay, so then I had to have with him the talk, right? Uh, being a Chisholm means that a lot of girls are going to want to be your friends, son. <laughs> With tremendous attractiveness and studliness comes tremendous responsibility, right? Well, I'm trying to train him young so that it won't go to his head when it hits him when he's older. I, I wouldn't want, you know, got to prepare him for what it's going to be like. Okay, seriously, uh, why do I care so much about Sam's friends? Why is that a concern for me? Uh, it's a concern because I know that the kids he hangs out with will have a tremendous impact on who he is as a young man, right? Inevitably, you become like the people you hang out with. I heard a very popular speaker recently say, you are the average of your five closest friends. <laughs> so if you want to improve yourself, get better friends, right? Maybe part of it. Okay, who do we hang out with? Who are we becoming more like? I think if we really want to become more like Jesus, that means we have to spend more time with him. Right? I care a lot. What does your prayer life look like? What does your devotional life look like? Uh, what does it look like for us to spend time with each other, encouraging each other, as we're all trying to live out this Jesus story together? You know, and in our, in our time spent with God and his word, um, there's a couple different ways we can read it. One way of reading the Bible is I'm just reading it for information. I'm reading it. I can memorize a lot of facts. I can memorize all the books in order. I could pass a good test on the Bible. And I think we can do that and read it just like a Pharisee and not become any more like Jesus. Or I think we can read it like the living word of God, capable of transforming my life, capable of helping me be friends with the Lord Jesus Christ. What are we doing when we approach spending time with Jesus? All right, letter B. Uh, not only does it look like spending time with Jesus, I think it also will look like foolishness to the world. I think having the Spirit of God, having the mind of Christ, looks like foolishness to the world. Uh, why would Jesus, the Son of God, wash the feet of his own underlings? 
why would Jesus, the Son of God, spend time hanging around little kids? Why would the Son of God do his ministry in the middle of nowhere? Why would the king of the universe allow Roman soldiers to arrest him and strip him and beat him and hang him on a cross for hours? All of that is foolishness. Why? If we're truly developing the mind of Christ, it will look like foolishness to the world. We will be part of things that the world cannot understand because we are part of a bigger world, a more important mission than they can wrap their heads around. That makes sense? All right, number C, letter C. Right. It'll look like radical morality. Okay, developing the mind of Christ will look like radical morality. You know, it's very in vogue right now uh, to say that Jesus was all about helping the poor and the marginalized. Okay, and he was, right? That's a big part of what Jesus did. Jesus was all about lifting up people uh, who were at the bottom of the social ladder. Uh, but it was also about practicing a radical ethic, right? Uh, we tend to go through different swings in different cultures and different times, right? Right now, when we focus on Jesus, we think, ah, Jesus helped poor people. And years prior, was, ah, well, Jesus was really about sexual purity. And years prior, was, ah, Jesus was about radical honesty. And we like to pick which virtues of Jesus we think are the ones that we want to emulate the most. Um, but the Bible gives us a holistic picture of Jesus, and Jesus was all of those things. If I'm truly following in the way of Jesus, I will help the poor and oppressed. I will have radical honesty in what I say. I will be encouraging to those who need encouraging, right? I will be correcting to those who need correcting. I will have a a pure life, right? It will look like radical morality. We cannot claim to be following Jesus uh, and then live in ways that are opposite of what he actually taught. Fair enough? All right. Final point, number D. Uh, It looks like focusing your life on the kingdom of God. Developing the mind of Christ is a focus on God's kingdom. Uh, One of the things that we've noticed in our Bible class and and studying the book of Matthew uh, is that over and over again, Jesus keeps bringing up the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is coming. No, the kingdom of God is here. We're ready for the kingdom. The bridegroom has arrived. It's time for the party. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Jesus couldn't help but constantly talk and act out the kingdom of God. We get into the church, we get into the writings of Paul, and he's constantly talking about the kingdom of God. You are a kingdom of priests, right? We are part of God's kingdom. Okay, so then the hard part becomes looking at my own life and asking myself, do I spend as much time talking about, thinking about, living about the kingdom of God as I read about in the New Testament? Okay, so my question for us is, who am I inviting to walk alongside me in God's kingdom? Who do I know in my private life that needs to be part of a loving family living out this kingdom life? Am I inviting them to church with me? Am I looking for opportunities to share my story of the kingdom of God with people around me? Am I really focusing my time and my energy and my efforts and my thoughts on building the kingdom of God? Am I really a kingdom-oriented person or is this something we do on the weekends? Because it can't be both. Fair enough? We need to have the mind of Jesus Christ. All right, at this time in our service, uh, we are going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. During the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. This is a time in our service where we would like to pray with you or talk with you, just be with you with whatever it is that's going on in your life. If you'd like to know more about what it means to walk with Jesus in his kingdom, we would love to explain that to you uh, in much greater detail.
Um, this is just a time for us to be here for you. And before we sing that song, I'd like to close this with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.